We're going to be looking at the books of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 12. So if you turn there, obviously we'll be referring to that book in particular because we want to look at Peter being arrested. And we're going to talk about persecution. Uh, last night about 7 o'clock, my son came into my room and said, Dad, Scotty's not feeling well. Could you, could you teach tomorrow morning? I said, sure. He said, well, do you have anything? I said, we'll figure out something. We'll get, we'll get it done. The Lord's always good. You know, they say a, a, a good man of the Lord is always prepared, no matter where he goes and what he does. And uh, I've never been a preacher full time, but I can imagine that sometimes they've traveled somewhere and they get asked to do things all the time. So we have to be on, on the ready. Now chapter 12 of, of, of um, Acts is a very interesting chapter. Um, the book of Acts to me is just fascinating anyway. Remember it's a, it's a transitional book from the Old Testament to the New. It's a historical book. It's a book of the early church doctrine and, and how the church was developed. And that's all fascinating to me. I'm kind of a historian anyway. I had history as one of my majors in college. And uh, I've always been fascinated by history. But biblical history, uh, our history of how we came about as believers is really interesting to me. And this is a very interesting chapter. So if you turn there with me, we're going to read to the chapter this morning. We're going to talk about several things. And then we're going to discuss why I see this chapter is so fascinating. I hope you will too as well. So let's start out with a word of prayer first. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity, Lord, to help the uh, Spirit to work through me, Lord, that we may know the truth of this chapter, the truth of Peter and his, uh, his um, release from prison, Lord, and his miraculously being uh, preserved. And then, Lord, we just want to pray for those who are sick and afflicted. I think of Scotty, who's not feeling well, Lord. Just be with him and many others, Lord. And then we think just of the, the foul weather, and although we need the rain, Lord, it, it's very uncomfortable, as Pastor said, to have to travel in it and get out in it. But we are thankful for it, Lord. We want to thank you for your love, for your son, his death, burial, and resurrection. For those that are here, Lord, thank you for them. Just pray that you uh, illuminate our minds and our hearts through the truth of the word this morning. Open our minds that we may know what to do, how to obey, Lord. And help us to be doers of the word. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You know, um, chapter 12 starts out by talking about King Herod. This is not the same King Herod that we see that uh, was in charge of things when the Lord was born. But it's of the same family. The Herod family has been around for a long time. Remember... The group of what they call Herodians were people that wanted Herod and his family to stay in power uh, because obviously they would get good things from them by backing them, just like government does today. A lot of people want you to vote for them. They promise you everything, you know, chicken in every pot, a car in every garage, and then when they get elected, they give you nothing. Well, that's the way they've always been. They've been that way the last 2,000 years since the Lord has ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father. And uh, <clears throat> so here's Herod. And, uh, of course, he wants to be popular. And, of course, he wants the people like him. They don't, by the way. Most people despise him. He's a very wicked person. But here he is. And think about the things that the family of Herod have done now. Um, back in Mark, we've seen where they uh, put John the Baptist to death. They beheaded him. Uh, that was Herod the Great that did that. 
And then we see that uh, they tried to kill baby Jesus in, in uh, Matthew chapter 2, remember? Uh, he sent out his henchman, Herod did, and said, destroy all the babies at two years and under. How horrific is that? Think about that. I don't know how many babies that would be, but obviously that was probably several hundred that he had killed. Why did he want to do that? What was the whole purpose behind that? Because he wanted to maintain his power. He heard this the Savior was coming, he was going to be the king, and he didn't want anybody else to be king. He wanted to be. So he destroys people. And that's the way humankind is today. Uh, they will destroy us if we don't follow what they want. We have to be very careful. We're still in a country that doesn't allow that, but there's many places around the world where people are still persecuted that way. And then we see where even in, when Christ was put to death, that Herod did nothing to lift a finger to protect him, even though he was an innocent man, as Pilate said. And then we see in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 12 uh, that James is put to death. He's put to the sword and killed by Herod. Now he's doing all this because he wants to become popular. He wants people to like him. And the Jewish people were excited that he would do this because they thought they were heretics. They weren't teaching the faith properly, although we knew they were teaching the truth of God's word, that the Jewish nation was wrong in how they interpreted scripture. They didn't see who Christ really was. They missed the Messiah. They still have, even till today. And a great question comes up then is, why was Herod doing this? Well, he's doing it because he wanted them to like him, to make him popular. Um, so if you look at uh, chapter 12, let's just start reading here. We'll try to read through it. And if my voice holds up, you can tell I struggle. Um, I've had some kind of infirmity in my throat for a long time, and it, Sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. It says in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Acts, it says, Now about the time Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. <clears throat> and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So that was a Passover they're referring to. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four uh, quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending uh, after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now really that word Easter there should be Passover. Um, a lot of times we use that word Easter today to, to have the resurrection Sunday, and obviously it's the Lord's already raised. It says, Peter therefore was to keep uh, in prison but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, who do we say the church was? They didn't have a building like we do, do they? A lot of people think the building's the church. We, we know we, the believers, are the church. And we're going to see later on that Mary, the mother of Mark, John Mark, had the church at her house and they were praying. At least part of the church was there. <clears throat> and then he says, uh, in, in verse 6 it says, And when Herod had... Uh, would have brought him forth the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound uh, with two chains and was uh, and and the keepers before the doors kept the prison. In other words, there wasn't only two people on each side of him he's chained to. Remember, they had 16 guards go with him. I'm sure they're in a the prison somewhere. Those quarterings of soldiers, remember? And then we know that there was a, a, a people that kept the prison. At each gate, there was a guy guarded the gate because there's several gates within the prison, as we're, as we're going to see. So there's a lot of people there making sure he can't escape. Herod wanted to make sure the same thing that happened at the tomb with Jesus where they thought somebody came and stole the body and they had 
uh, embarrassment because of that didn't want to happen again. So he's making sure that uh, Peter's not going to go anywhere. And he said, Behold, an angel of the Lord, here in verse 7 now, came upon him, and a light shone in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands, and the angel said unto him, Gird yourself, and bind on thy sandals. Uh, and so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garments about thee, and follow me. Now, obviously, he probably wasn't totally unclothed. He probably had undergarments on, but he had most of his outer garments off. He had his sandals off. And the angel was telling him, Get your clothes on, we're leaving. All right, and do it quickly. And he went out and followed him, that is the angel, and, and twisted not uh, that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought it was a vision. So he thinks he's dreaming, doesn't he? He, de he doesn't understand what's going on yet. He's in a stupor. He just woke up. You can ask my wife. If somebody calls me in the middle of the night, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, my mother used to do that, I wouldn't even know who she was for a while. My wife would hit me. It's mom, you know, whatever. And then she'd start telling me stuff when she got older. And, and uh, I'm trying to decipher what she's saying. Anyway, it'd take me a while to wake up. I can see where Peter might have trouble. Uh, and um, when he... Uh, <clears throat> and when they... And we're in uh, verse not, uh, 10 now. And when they were... Past the first and second ward, so they're deep in a prison here, they came unto the iron gate that led unto the city, which opened unto them on its own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. So the only angel only went as far as outside the prison, outside where he's starting to be in the city, and he left him. And Peter, when he came to himself, said, now notice he came to himself. He finally figured out what was going on. Now I know for surety that the Lord hath sent an angel and hath delivered me out of the hands of Herod and from all expectations of the people of the Jews. Now keep that in mind when it says from, uh, and, and from out all expectations of the people of the Jews. That becomes important later on here as we read on. And when he had uh, considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many uh, were gathered together praying. So as soon as Peter was taken, he was thrown in jail. The church got together and they started praying. Now remember, this is the middle of the night. So they've been praying since he's been taken, which is probably midday sometime or late evening. And they've been praying right through the night for his release and for his protection. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a damsel came uh, to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told, uh, told uh, how Peter stood before the gate. Now notice how well they listened to her. Uh, but they said unto her, Thou must be mad. Uh, but she can, uh, constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is an is angel. Now, if you look at scripture, you look at the original text that talking about a spirit. Uh, they didn't think it was his angel was all. It says, but Peter continued to knock, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Keep that word in mind. That's an important word as we go through this and we go back over the, the chapter a little bit. But he beckoned unto them with his hands to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and how he said, uh, Go ye to these things, uh, go show these things unto James. Different James now. Remember the other James is uh, the brother of John. It's just like my name. 
Our last church we came from, it went, there's only about 100 members, just like about here, and we had six Steves. So when pastor said, Steve, would you please pray, he used to point the one he wanted. So the same thing, it's just a very common name. So he's still talking about a different James. Uh, and to the brethren, and he departed and went another place. So now Peter leaves. He doesn't stay there. And that's going to become an important subject matter as we go through the chapter. And we're going to see why on here. If we get that far, I hope we do. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir. Now, don't you like how Luke says that? There is no small stir. So what is he saying? There was a big uproar. When Herod found out he was missing, he was mad. Okay? No small stir among the soldiers. That would uh, uh, what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought of him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. Now, isn't that great? Wouldn't you like to be a Roman uh, soldier or the keepers of the prison? Not a very likely uh, uh, longevity of life when you consider how he put him to death. And uh, that what happened when the tomb uh, was examined, but what happened? Remember, the, those guys were bribed and they said they would protect them because they didn't want people to know what actually happened to Jesus. In this case, case, they weren't so lucky, though. Uh, they weren't favored that well. So um, they were put to death, and I'm still in chapter, or verse 19. And he went down to uh, Judea, to uh, Caesarea, and there abode. Now, he went down to the coast. Caesarea's on the coast. My wife has been there. She's been to uh, the Lord's uh, promised land a couple of times. And she, she said it's very pleasant, very nice. They didn't like the inner part where Jerusalem was. It was an in, inner part of the city because it was very, or the uh, country because it was very hot. I remember we were born and raised in Southern California. Uh, we lived in the interior, you know, uh, in, in, in towards uh, Anaheim and that kind of area. And when it got real hot, we liked to go to the beach. Well, why do you go to the beach? Because there's a nice cool breeze there. It's sunny, but it's cool, right? So he goes down there. He wants to get away from all. Now he's really mad and upset. He wants to cool his heels, so to speak. And Herod, I'm on verse 20, was highly displeased with them at Tyre and Sidon. Now you'd think, why is he mad at them? They weren't involved, right? Because he's just mad. He's a, he's a ruler. He's a, he's a dictator. He's just mad. He's mad at everybody. Uh, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastros, uh, the king's chamberman, chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. In other words, they wanted to make peace with the king. They didn't want to mad any longer because he was the one that held the purse strings that kept everything going in our country. So they wanted to make a good feeling with him so that he would feel better towards them, obviously. So we're looking for favors, all right? Verse 21. And upon a set day, Herod, arraigned in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an or or oration unto, the, unto them, meaning the people. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of man. Well, that's very interesting. We're going to go to Isaiah uh, 42, 8 here in a minute, but not right now. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave no glory, gave not God uh, the glory, and he was eaten with worms and gave up the ghost. Doesn't sound like a very pleasant way to die. But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. Notice there's fear everywhere, but the Lord's word is going out. It's multiplying. People are getting saved. And uh, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, um, uh, ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, as we read through that, there's a lot that happened there. 
And we already mentioned how what type of person Herod was when we talked about the things that his family had done in the last so many years since the birth of Christ and since his death. And uh, we see that uh, people are totally afraid. Matter of fact, the church is being persecuted, as we know. Uh, it started, obviously, when Jesus, in, well, actually it started when John the Baptist came on the scene. They didn't like what he was saying. They were persecuting him. Herod had him put to death. Uh, and then... Uh, because of the daughter from his wife wanted him put to death when she danced. You remember the story? And so uh, John the Baptist has been killed. Now we see that James has been killed. We see that Christ has been killed. And so anybody that talks about the way or being followers of Christ are in danger. So most Christians now have a target on their back. You ever feel like today you might have a target on your back? Things are changing. You know, so it's, we're all, all of a sudden we're responsible for everything that's bad in the world which is just contrary to what the truth is if you're a true believer. You want everything to be done rightly. Okay? So here we are. We're in, we're in persecution now. And most people would think persecution is what? Not a definition, but what would you think if somebody was persecuting you? Yeah, you, you wouldn't be very happy. You, you do, and of course, the, the believers weren't happy either. But you know, persecution could be a good thing. Now, I know after I said that, somebody's probably thinking, about, oh, sure, Brother Dean, persecution is a really great thing. In this case, it absolutely was. I think in our case today, it's going to be. Why? It forced the believers to do what the Great Commission was given to them to do. We think about uh, Matthew 28, 18-19. It says, go out and make disciples and, and, and disciple the world. Go out and be witnesses of me. He's telling them about the good, God, good news, the gospel. In Mark 16, he said the same thing. He gave the Great Commission there as well. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says the same thing. He said, wait here until you receive power. And once you do, I want you to go out to Jerusalem and uh, Samaria and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. They weren't doing that. They were in hiding. They were afraid to go out. They were afraid that they'd be arrested, put to death, or thrown in prison for life or whatever. So they weren't doing that. So actually, persecution forced them to get out, to go. Because people were being hunted. Remember uh, Saul? before he became a converted person in the name of Paul. Remember in uh, Romans, uh, I mean Acts chapter 8, and verse 1, he said he, he's wreaking havoc on the church. That word havoc means he was just making a total turmoil of the church, was just upsetting it totally, all right, that they had to go and hide it. And then again in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says he what? He was he's threatening, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Remember, he was going to put people in prison. He went to the, to, the, to, to the religious leaders of the time. He said, I want a letter going to Damascus. Remember that? I want to go hunt these people down. I want to bring them back. I want to put them in irons and bring them back to prison. Wasn't a very pleasant place to be. Being persecuted wasn't very good. So actually, persecution in this particular case is a very good one. That uh, sends them out. They have to spread the word. And they were doing that. Remember, we go to Acts 17. I think it's 16. He said, they, in a very short time, they, had, they turned the whole world upside down, remember, for the gospel of Christ. So they were doing their job. But it took God prodding them, pushing them, making them move. So here they are. They're being persecuted. Now Herod thinks, well, this is really good. The Jews really like what I'm doing. So he says, I'm, I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go have James arrested, the brother of John, and I'm going to put him to the sword. So he kills him. And the people were excited about that. They thought that was great. Life is very cheap and is sometimes in life. We think of all the abortions that are going on today. How sad that is. How precious life God, God sees life and how we as human beings sometimes just throw it aside like it's nothing. How sad that is. And so there he is. This, this persecution is going on. 
And so um, notice that they, he not only arrested Peter, but he threw him in prison. His intent was, after the Passover, to take and, and probably put him to the sword, make him a public spectacle. And then people would cheer Herod, and that would all be great. But notice that when he put him in prison, and, and you ever think about how many people he put on the, onto Peter, and think about that for a minute. You say, well, what do you mean? Brother Dean, I said, to think about it, he, they must think he's a Hercules or a, or Samson or a, or Superman or something. Of course, some of those are fictional characters, obviously, but some kind of a strong man, right? He's probably just a normal, everyday guy that was probably, you know, he, he the fisherman, he probably had some muscle from pulling that stuff, but I mean, typically he wasn't, he wasn't some superhuman. He wasn't oversized. Yet they put 16 guards on him, two of them, uh, one chained on each arm. They have him in the deepest part of the prison. Prison isn't like you think of prison today. You know, prison today is a luxury. They have their libraries. They have their gyms where they pump iron. Um, they have all kinds of good food. They have medical care. Just goes on and on and on. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't take care of prisoners. That's not my point. But it certainly wasn't like in this day. He's in the darkest part of the prison. There is no light back there except for maybe some kind of a light given off by a, a candle or some kind of oil lamp. And then when an angel comes in, we know that he's showing light so they can see real good. And he's right, and it's probably damp. It's probably maybe even hot. And uh, he's back in there. And you say to yourself, then how can he sleep? Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples in the, in the, the apostles, they fell asleep very easily. Remember that? And God was actually upset with them that they weren't praying with him. Now we see that Peter's sleeping, and I don't think it was a bad thing. But why do you think Peter can sleep now when he didn't, uh, uh, and not, not have any concerns where he didn't uh, do but right by the Garden of uh, Gethsemane when he was sleeping when God said he should be awake praying? Yeah, Betty. He had peace of God. Yeah, absolutely. He had the peace of God. He knew who, was, who had uh, him in his hands. The Lord had him in his hands. And he may be taken. He may be killed. But he, he knew the Lord was in charge. And he was willing to give up his life because the Lord said, follow me. And he was doing that. So he's in prison. Uh, he's getting ready to come out the next day. And notice, we, as we already read, that the, the, the angel came in. He woke him up. He's sound asleep. He said, get your clothes out. We're going out. And, and Peter's all droggy. He doesn't know what's going on. He's thinking, oh my goodness, what, what's this all about? He thinks he's in a dream. And uh, it would be a good dream. I mean, a lot of dreams I have that I don't like are bad dreams. He's in a good dream. And he, he leads him outside. Notice it says he goes by the first ward and the second ward. So he must have been at least three, three places back, right? He's really in the furthest most part of the dungeon. And as he goes out, all these gates open out. Do you ever think about all the men that were supposed to be guarding him? Do you actually think those guys were asleep? I doubt it. Very seriously. They knew how grave uh, a thing it was to let a prisoner escape. They weren't going to fall asleep. But what do you think happened? I think the Lord blinded them. The Lord temporarily got them so they, they didn't see anything. And as they just walked through, and he met, notice every gate was open. It had keys to those gates like you would anywhere else, and it just opened. And as it came to the last iron gate, remember, it just opened of its own accord, just opened right up. They walked right out. When God says he'll take care of us, he's going to take care of us. Okay, so they're on the outside now, and Peter finally figures out what's going on. I say come to his senses. He finally says, oh my goodness. You know, the God has just miraculously saved me from prison and probably from death. And here I am standing out in the middle of the streets leading into the city. It's, it's just unbelievable. And he's very excited, of course. So what does he do? He decides he wants to go see the church. He probably figures they are praying for him. I mean, that's what they did. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, it says they broke bread and prayed daily. 
That's what they're doing all the time, praying for the saints, praying for the Lord's work to be done, all kinds of stuff. They're praying for constantly, all right? That's why God tells us to pray without ceasing. And so here he is, he's, he's on the outside, he said, well, I'm going to go to where I know the church is, this is Mary's house, uh, John Mark's mother's. Now, you might say to yourself, well, how can she have a church there? Well, it's obvious if you know anything about the Old Testament, she's probably wealthy. We're going to see that Peter comes to a gate. That means she has a wall uh, built around her house, and that she has servants, the damsel, remember, goes as a maid servant, goes to the gate to answer who's at the gate. So she has servants, which means she's wealthy. She probably has a pretty good size home because she's wealthy again. And so he knows that the church is there. She'd been probably uh, having a church in her home for a long time because they didn't have buildings then. The churches in Jerusalem, the first part of the first century church was in homes, pardon me. And so here they are. He goes, he goes to Mary's. He knocks on the gate. And to his surprise, nobody opens the door, the gate. What's really funny is Rhoda gets really excited. Now I'm going to make a little bit of fun of the ladies, but I, the men could do the same thing. So she goes to the, she goes to the gate. He hears him knocking. She basically says, who's there? And he says, it's Peter. She recognizes the voice. She's, he's been at the house before. She knows who he is. She hasn't seen his face yet. She just knows the voice. And what does she do? She just gets giddy, right? Oh, 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 oh. Peter, 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 he's at the gate. He's at the gate. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Oh, I better go tell people. She runs off. But what does she do? She doesn't open the gate and let him in. By the way, that was very dangerous. Now, God's going to protect him. Don't, don't get me wrong. But he, he needs to be inside where in case a Roman centurion comes by who's guarding and watching the city, they had him roaming just like they do police uh, in cars today and stuff. If he gets spotted, he's going to get arrested again, right? So she should open the gate and let him in and then get excited and run and tell people. But here, look what, look what happens. He runs and tells the people that are gathered together, the other disciples, pardon me, and the members of the church. And what do they say to her? You must be crazy, right? You must be off your nut. Because why? Peter's supposed to be in, in prison, in jail. And this is part of the whole lesson this morning we need to learn. When we're praying, we need to pray in earnest, but we need to pray with the idea that God's going to answer that prayer. That's, that's one of the key factors we need to get from this lesson this morning. Now, I'm not saying they weren't earnest in their prayer. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is sometimes we don't think God has the power to do some of the things that he does. God's all-powerful. God has created everything we see. We don't see things we don't understand. I mean, he's created everything. And you think he can't let Peter out of jail? And if you're going to pray for it, you better accept the fact that he's going to get out of jail probably. Now, it may not be the Lord's will, by the way. It wasn't the Lord's will that James survived. But in this particular case, it was God's will, right? So they say, oh, you're crazy. So she says, no, she, she's still excited and she's just emphatic. Listen, you guys, snap out of it. I tell you, he's at the gate, right? And so they finally figure out after she really gets excited about this, she must be telling the truth. But they say, no, I think, I think what you're seeing, or you're hearing rather, because she didn't see him yet, what you're hearing is that he, his, his ghost, they say ghost, his spirit is there, right? His angel's there. And obviously that's not true either. He's there physically. But they weren't expecting him. They were expecting Remember when I told you to, to look and see what the expectations of the Jewish people were back in verse uh, number 11? And from all the expectations of the people of the Jews, everybody's expecting him not to make it, that he's, Herod's going to kill him. And so 
the expectation was that he's already dead and he's appearing as a spirit now. But they'd finally, with her insistence, go to the gate. And here's the other thing that's just amazing. They open the gate and what are they? They're astonished. Think of that word astonished. Now, you could use all kinds of words. They were surprised. They were pleasantly overjoyed. But the word astonished means what? Yeah, they just don't even believe their own eyes. They don't see it for what it really is. That God has created a miracle, and their Peter, who they've been praying for all this time, is standing before them, and they really didn't expect him to be let go. So why would we pray if we didn't expect God to do what we're praying for? Do you go to prayer that way in your life? I, I think I have. I think all of, us, all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, would say, yeah, at some point in my life I prayed that way. I prayed wanting God to do something, but I'm not really expecting that to happen. So what are we really saying? We doubt God, right? We don't think God can do it. We lack the faith is really what we're saying for God to accomplish that. That's really sad on our part. Faith is a growing thing. You know, there's a saving faith. There's all kinds of faith myths in the scripture, and one of them is that we... we um, we're constantly growing. We're constantly having our faith tested become stronger and stronger. And we need to learn that our faith is only as good as we allow it to be. If we hold back on things, our faith becomes weak. A lot of Christians fall away from the church and fall away from the teachings of Christ because they lack faith. We know people who just can't seem to get over that they've been a sinner part of their life and, and they still feel guilty, so they just sit there and they sat in this quagmire and they're spinning wheels all the time and they never go anywhere in life. They never accomplish anything for the Lord because they're so worried about their guilt. Well, if God says, I forgive you of your sins if you confess them properly, they're gone. We don't need to worry about them anymore. We don't need to spend time and, and efforts worried about things that are under the bridge are gone. God says he fully uh, pardoned you from all those things that you did. So uh, we need to keep that in mind. And so we look at them and they're, they're astounded and that Peter is standing there. And notice he says to him, he beckons them with his hands and tells them to hold the peace. Now you can say, well, why would he do that? Let them be excited. Well, because in the middle of the night, if they cause a commotion, somebody's going to come along like a guard and say, what's going on? They're going to see Peter there. He might get arrested again. So he says, uh, hold your tongue, be quiet. Uh, he tells them what happened, and then he leaves. Now that brings us to another, another interesting part of this chapter. He leaves. Why would he leave? If God could get him out of prison, why can't God guard him right there, protect him in the midst of his own people? Because we sometimes want our plan to be God's plan. Sometimes we, we have this little idea that God is a little, some kind of a little thing that we rub like a, a genie lamp and, and we say, God, I want you to do this. God, I want you to do that. You know, God is in charge of everything. He's sovereign. He's the one who created everything. He has his eternal plan since before the foundation of the, the world was uh, built. He knows exactly what's going on. He's not blindsided by anything. He's not in any kind of a shock. He, people say, well, when, when the Old Testament didn't work, then, then he devised a, the, the New Testament part where Christ comes in. No, since the foundation of the, of the world, Christ was supposed to come, right? And, and, and the fact is, is that we need to remember that God knows everything. It may not be God's will that certain things happen. And we may not understand what His will is, but that doesn't make it any different. He's still God. He's still sovereign. 
and he can deal with what he wants to do with it. I think it's in Isaiah where it talks about the potter and the clay, remember? He can take and smash that clay and start all over if he wants to. He can destroy it. It's up to God. He's God. It's his plan. It's his world. He built it. He, he's, in, he's in charge of it, and he can do what he wants. We forget that sometimes. We need to pray, obviously, in God's will. That's what Scripture tells us. And if we're praying in God's will, it's going to happen because the will of God is going to come to fruition because God says it will. Okay? So here they are. They're astounded. Peter leaves. Uh, and so then uh, we see there in verse 18, one thing that I pointed out was that no small stir. Uh, Luke is eloquent with his writing. He's a very intelligent man. He says, no small stir. We might think in our mind, no small stir, that means maybe not too big. No, that means just the opposite, doesn't it? It means a great upheaval was going on now in the city. When Herod finds out that he's missing, Peter that is, he gets in an uproar. Why do you think he goes down to Caesarea on the coast? Just wants cool hills. He's all mad. He needs to go and get a brush of fresh air. He's so upset with everything that's going on. He puts the centurions and the, and the guards to death. And he says, okay, now I've, I've fixed that problem. And why do, you think he put, why do you think he put the guards to death? This is an interesting thing that Brother McGee brings up in his commentary. Why do you think he put the guards to death? Yeah, yeah that's right. Well, I agree with that, show authority. But that's not really what I'm looking for. That's a good answer. The show his authority. Hey, you're going to do what I say. But remember, it wasn't their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. The Lord's the one that allowed them out of the prison. Yeah. Beverly, I see you raising your hand. They, uh, now I have lost my thought. Go ahead, Bill. I, I, they, I don't know what I was going to say. I forgot. Spit it out. Go ahead. <laughs> John, you have an idea? The custom of the times was the, the guards would serve the sentence of the prisoner that got away. Oh. Yeah. If the prisoner was to be executed, then the guard would be. Yeah. Yeah. Other times the king was in his rage, aka like Nebuchadnezzar, hurry up, get over there, and people die. But generally, they would they take the sentence. They allowed a prisoner; it was in their life. Well, we know that Herod was in rage. That's for sure. So from I, the, the prisoners of the tomb. Tomb. Remember the Pharisees had to come say, "Hey, come to we'll, we'll we'll cover you. We got your back." That's right. They them and they brought them because they would have been killed. That's right. That's what I mentioned earlier. You're absolutely right. So yeah, but what McGee mentions that I never thought of before that was very interesting. He said. Because Herod did not believe in God and his power, he was enraged that, 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 that these guys allow him to, to go. His point is, is that because, because um, if I can get this out right, I'm like Beverly, I'm trying to work on it. Because he, he doesn't think God exists and God has power, he's enraged because of that. He's shown his anger with everybody else. So he puts these guys to death. He, as, as Roy said, he wants to show his superiority as the ruler and he has authority, so he puts them to death. Well, that's not very fair. Yeah, everybody want to try again? But these soldiers didn't say anything because they didn't want uh, to be assassinated. Yeah. Because they didn't want the news to go out and get back to them. That's, that's not the right thing. I'm not explaining it very well. I guess I will let you continue. Well, I'm not sure I explained it very well either, but I would say that the, the soldiers, the soldiers, what are the soldiers going to do once they're, if they weren't killed once they go out into society? And everybody's asking, well, we heard that you, you let Peter go. Well, what do you think they're going to say? 
I absolutely did not. I don't know what happened. I was there, and I had my eyes wide open. I wasn't sleeping, and the next thing I know, we went to get him. Uh, think about the two guys that chained to him, for crying out loud. They're chained to him. There's a chain just sitting on a bench, and they're sitting there with the chains on them. No Peter. Can you imagine what kind of a story that would be as far as the power of God? And that's what McGee is basically pointing out. Herod didn't want He just destroyed him. He didn't want him saying anything. Nobody really knows what happens now, right? Because he, he, he got rid of all the evidence. So he goes down to Caesarea and he's mad. He, it says he's mad at Tyre and Sidon. Why would he be mad at them? He's just mad. He's a ruler. He can be mad if he wants to, right? Or at least he thinks he can. So they set up a, a time where they can meet with him to, to soothe his feathers, to, to get in good with him, if you want to call it that. And so he said, okay, we're going to meet on such such a day. I'll put on my royal robe and I'll, I'll give you a speech about how great I am. Is basically what he does. And uh, so what happens? God strikes him dead. Let's go over to, remember I said we were going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 42. Let's go over to Isaiah 42, 8 for a second. Now, this, this is throughout Scripture, by the way. This is not the only place where God talks about this. But this is an interesting one. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. It says here, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will, not, will I not give to um, another neither my praise to graven images or any other king or any other person that thinks he's a god. Because remember, Herod thinks he's a god. The people shout, it's a god. Remember back there in verse 22? And the people gave a shout saying, it is a voice of a god and not of man. Herod was just a man. Period. And so God struck him down because he thought he was really great. Remember when uh, Balasajar and uh, the writing was on the wall of Babylon? Babylon was the greatest city in the world at that time, conquered everybody and everything. They were taking the vessels from the, from, uh, the Lord's temple that they had, uh, when they destroyed it, and were drinking from it, and, and, uh, and they, they thought they were so great, they were making fun of God, actually. And so God says, your time's up, right? It's on the wall. It's not exactly what he meant, but that's what it was. And so what did they do? The enemy drained, or didn't drain, but they diverted the river and they went in underneath the, the gates of the city which the river flowed through when they weren't paying attention. And he had them destroyed. Because what? He thought he was so great. He thought he was a god. Human beings aren't gods. Human beings are never going to be gods. We're human beings. God created us as human beings. And so Herod is destroyed. He's no longer king. He's no longer anything. Matter of fact, it says here the worms ate him. That's a pretty dastardly sounding thing. Yes, Sheila. Well, you you might be absolutely right, Shirley. You know what? That wouldn't be a very pleasant thing, would it? No, absolutely not. Yeah, John. Secular history. He lived for quite a few months, <laughs> and, and, and where where the worms come out was is his private place. Yeah. And he was he was it was it was gross. He was in pain. He was in agony. And then when I felt we went off to Galilee, but I remember Josephus tells us what happened. Yeah. He was, a, he was a hated man. Nobody liked him. Yeah. My old saying, it better be a dog in a family because he killed everybody. Yeah. See, we don't know everything all the time because Scripture doesn't give us everything. John's right. But we have other historians, Josephus, who wrote 
Uh, he's the one that told us what happened on Masada, for example, yeah. things like that. And he's a pretty reliable source, of, uh, a secular source, but still a reliable source. A lot of secular history... They don't agree with the Bible. Yeah, it... It, it, it's, it shows the Bible is absolutely true. No doubt about it. If people want to listen and look at it. So, yeah, so here he is. He's going to die, isn't he? And as a result, then, obviously, the church is safe, right? No. No, they're just starting to see. Everywhere they go, Asia Minor, eventually Paul goes to Rome, remember? They're, they're all hated everywhere. The word of God is hated, and Christ says to us, "Why would you be surprised that that uh, they hate you? They hated me first. They hate God. They don't like they don't like uh, righteousness. They don't like holiness. Remember that that illustration of uh, when when you turn on the lights in a dark room, all the rats scurry and, and run off and get out of the light. They don't want to be seen. That's kind of how we are, to mankind. We we do these things all the time to people and stuff." thinking we're getting away with it, but in God's sight, we're not getting away with anything. Nothing that we do is not seen by God. God sees everything. So the question we have then, if we think about it for a minute, the question is not if God can or if God will. When they were praying, the question is, God is why? Why would God allow certain people to live like James and our, our Peter brother, and not James. And why would he not? Because in God's eternal plan, he knows what he wants and does. We don't understand that sometimes. And so we can become very upset. So when we pray, sometimes we pray out of God's will because what? We're very selfish. We want things to go our way. We want things to be done the way we think they should be done. Somehow we think that we need to educate God. Do you ever stop and think about that? How are you going to educate the, the God who created everything? We don't even understand half or half. We don't understand one minute bit about what's going on around us in our world and stuff. You know, we want to dictate to God what we think should be done. What we need to do is pray, God, wherever thy will is, may it be done. But we want you to know, Lord, we're praying so that you realize that we're people that love you. We know you can do these things. We're just waiting to see what the results are going to be instead of dictating to God what we want. Now, we, we know a young lady we've been praying for. She's on the, the list, uh, um, uh, Wednesday prayer list. Her name is Tracy. We've known her all of her life. We knew her before she was even born in the sense that we knew her parents. And she has severe cancer. I mean, severe, she has it all throughout her body, everywhere. And she went to Stanford just the other day, and they were going to uh, try to do a new program with her to try to help her. And they basically said they, they weren't going to work with her, but they changed their mind. They are doing some things for her, but not what they said originally. Because in human mind, there's nothing that can be done for her. Notice I said in human mind. Now that doesn't mean that God will raise her up. But what it means is we need to pray that if it's God's will, that he'll raise her up. That's the key. Because not always does he do that. Everybody's going to die sooner or later. You know anybody that's... Old? Well, now my wife tells me the oldest person in the United States, I don't think in the world, I think there's some in Asia that are in Japan that are older, but she's 116. She's up in Willis, California. And, but do you know anybody else that's that old or older? No, we also come to death eventually, right? And we best know where eternity is after thinking about death. Because eternity is a real place, contrary to what mankind wants to think. He's afraid of eternity because he doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't know if he's going to be there or not. 
we can tell them they can be assured of where they're going to go for eternity. Because why? We have the answer. What's the, we don't have the answer like I, Steve Dean has it. What's the answer that we have? Tim, what's the answer that we have? What's the answer that we have that we can tell the world for eternity? Yeah, the, the, the answer is the belief. What are we believing in, Tim? We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we believe the Word that God made everything. And people are turning around that God didn't make nothing. Yeah. Science is trying to destroy the Word of God. Yeah, the answer is Christ. And we have the answer. Not like me and you created the answer. We know everything. But we have it. God's given it to us as we became saved. We know the truth now. We have that answer. We need to tell other people. Other people need to be saved. But we don't always do that. Remember, they were being persecuted because they weren't doing that. And God scattered them throughout. Remember, Scripture talks about the idea that gold sometimes has to be refined in a very hot fire. What does it do? It brings up the dross, doesn't it? It brings up the impurities. I think our church in the future, not just this church, churches in general, are going to be under fire. God's going to refine us. Those that are truly saved are going to stick together and they're going to do what's right. They're going to continue to give forth the gospel. Those that aren't are going to fall by the wayside. Some of those are going to turn to the world church and they're going to say, well, they got the answer because why everybody protects each other there. It has nothing to do with God. It has to do with individuals and human beings and what they think. But true people, true believers, they're going to be refined to the point where you're going to really know them because they're going to be afraid to say anything. comes a point in time when you're persecuted that that's already happening in other places in the world. Does it, how many remember? I think it was Columbine, but I may be wrong with what school it is. And the shooter went into the school was shooting students and teachers. And one kid said to the one girl, the one shooter said to the girl, he says, are you a believer? Remember that? And she says, I am. And he says, well, good, because you're going to go meet your maker. And he shot her in the head. You know, it come to a point where somebody might say to you, are you a believer? And if you answer you are, you might get shot. Of course, they were shooting a lot of people. So, But the point I'm getting at is that takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of fortitude to have somebody point a gun at your head and say, do you truly believe in God like you say you do? Or are you going to go meet your maker? But that's what it might come down to in the future. Now, I'm not saying it's tomorrow. I don't know. You know, that's one thing that's in God's will. We don't know. Jesus even said he doesn't know exactly when he's going to return. We don't know when the end times actually are. But it says we can know the seasons. And just because we don't know the exact date doesn't mean we don't need to be working every day. Telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he may appear anytime. In him it means exactly that. It could happen at any moment. There's nothing left in scripture that I'm aware of anywhere, anyway that needs to be fulfilled in order for Christ to come a second time. He could come right now as we're talking and speaking. Amen. could happen. Amen is right. That's right. But we shouldn't look to God coming from the standpoint of, oh, I finally get out of this world. I don't have any more responsibility. We need to be working and waiting and watching for the Lord to come. That's what scripture teaches us. That's what our whole purpose in life is to glorify God. And many churches today, pardon me, and I'm not saying we're the greatest church on earth, I think we're trying to work towards that goal, but they're not doing those kind of things anymore. A lot of churches have become social clubs. It's all about them and who's in the church, what's going on. That's why music's changed. 
We want to draw people into the music. You know how people get saved? Does it say anywhere in Scripture that people get saved by music? Somebody point out in Scripture where it says that, please. No. You get saved by what? The Word. And the Word is given out by the, the, the witnesses that God says are going to go out and tell others. And guess who the witnesses are? Me, you, and all of God's church, which is the body of Christ. Those that are born again, those that are called the children of God. That's who the witnesses are. So we need to be active. We need to be working hard. Now this building over here is going to be built eventually. It's in God's will when it gets built. <laughs> we are progressing. But when it gets built, are you ready? Are you ready to be a witness to go out in the community? Are you doing that now? If, if we got a big building, it's going to seem kind of bad when pastors up there on a, on a podium and there's 40 or 50 of us sitting in the, in the thing and we got this huge sanctuary around us and there's nobody else there. Not just because it's empty, but because souls aren't being saved. Somebody's not going to heaven. They're going to be going to hell. So let's keep that in mind. And we're getting late. Any questions? I tell you, the book of Acts to me is an exciting book. Yeah, Roy, you first. And I was just going to say that you're saved by the grace of God. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. The world thinks today you're saved by the love of God. That's not what Scripture teaches. By the mercy and grace of God through our faith in Christ. Yeah, Sheila, you were going to say something. Well, I don't want to sound fanatical. <gasps> Sheila, you're going to say a fanatical thing? Go ahead. The FBI is already taking note of who, buy, who buys Bibles, who buys guns. They're already, um, I forget what the other things were. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know for a fact that that's true. In that I haven't read or seen at it. But I, I'll take your word for it, Sheila, because I know a lot of strange things are going on. Yeah. So let's be, let's be alert. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's get on fire for God. Let's do the work of the Lord instead of our own work. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Lord, Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to look at uh, Acts chapter 12. Lord, we have no reason to be fearful. Lord, you're in charge of our life. You may, you may allow our life to be taken, but think about what the alternative is. Heaven. In heaven, glorifying your name, Lord. How magnificent is that? And as we look at the world around us, Lord, the only way it's going to change, it's not going to change through politics, not going to change through some great leader comes along, not going to change for any of those reasons or any others you can think of. It's only going to change that people will know Jesus Christ, would turn from their wickedness and their sin and call upon him to save them, knowing that he's the Son of God and he died for them and he was buried and he raised the third day, showing that he was God himself, had power over death, and we will be raised in the future as well, Lord. I want to thank you for your son, his love for us, Lord. Help our church to do their job. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.